0: Want something new in your morning routine? Well, we've got a daily show going at 11FS, but it's sure to set you off on the right foot, taking place every single day on LinkedIn. The Breakfast Show, we chat about the latest news with a series of industry guests, all calling in remotely, of course. Uh, The U.S. show takes place at 7.30 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time and on the 11FS LinkedIn. And our global show starts at 8.30 a.m. GMT, where our CEO, David Breer, uses his own LinkedIn. Follow those accounts and get a notification as soon as the show is live. Thanks, and back to the show. We are here in our remote working locations for episode 137 of Blockchain Insider, the show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institution. Today, we bring you Sealer raises $7.7 million to wipe out ACH, ETH hits a 28-day high, and Everybody in their dog seems to want a central bank digital currency. All this and much, much more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and today we have two brilliant guests joining us remotely. First up, we have the returning Lex Sokolin, who is fintech co-head at Consensus. How are you doing, Lex? Doing great, feeling good, washing my hands. All of the above. That's uh, following the news. It's something like stay home, uh, <laughs> wash your hands, wash your hands again. That's a uh, good job. I'm going to give you a solid uh, (laughs) 10 out of 10. Well done. Um, And of course, uh, we're not alone. Uh, We have another returning guest. We've got the one and only Olivia Vinden, Head of Fintech and Innovation UK at Alpha FMC. How are you doing, Olivia?
1: Yeah, I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Finding my central London tiny flat quite oppressive though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who'd have thought being home could be so impressive? (laughs) All right. um, First story this week comes from TechCrunch, and this is about a programmable fintech payment startup called Sela, raising $7.7 million um, to build out features for a platform that allows entrepreneurs to launch easily programmable U.S. dollar pegged stablecoins. Uh, after a frustrating experience handling the bureaucracy of incumbent banks, Shamir Karko, uh connected with his co-founders. And this is a, essentially it's a regulated banking API infrastructure company. So think Stripe, um, but with ACH replacement using crypto um, and a bunch of on-ramps. And what's interesting about this is it's following the ERC-20 token protocol standard and was built on the Ethereum blockchain. They also do some identity verification um, and allow people to very quickly accept Payments. Um, I'm going to throw it to you, Lex, because this is kind of home court for you. Um, how much do you know about Sealer, and uh, why might somebody want this versus using something like Stripe, for instance?
2: Sure. Um, so I've I've looked into the company quite a bit, and it has a uh, esteemed founding team one of the founders was previously a founder of simple an early uh, neobank which was i believe acquired by bbva and has now sort of morphed into one of the open banking platforms out there so it comes with experience in the banking realm and i think you know it it correctly predicts some of the trends that we see happening in the space with consensus i think you know, putting uh, ACH is actually one of the things in the U.S. that works kind of okay. Uh, it's government infrastructure, moves trillions in assets, um, bundles together uh, thousands, if not millions of payments, powers how people get paid. Um, actually, not, not, not as bad as wires, for example. Um, but it does, this company does demonstrate what Ethereum is great at, which is, building a unified programmable rail for financial services infrastructure across asset class, whether that's payments or assets, capital markets, insurance, investments, what have you. Um, so I think the thesis is totally right. In many ways, it's um, it's going to be a much more efficient infrastructure in the sense of you're, you're using tokens, you're using digital scarcity, you're using blockchain for settlement, rather than uh, relying on a company that might be keeping its own ledger and reconciling with a with a bunch of players. But I think that even though this may be one of the plays in the space, there are lots of plays uh, in this space. You know, consensus certainly has projects along this line. And we've worked with a number of banks who's, who've thought about the Ethereum blockchain as a rail for programmable money as well. Uh, Olivia, I'm interested in your perspective
0: on this as well as, as you look at it. What what did you see when you saw this story? Yeah, well, I, I sort of echo
1: Lex's thoughts that it is a very strong founding team. And so they probably know more about it than, than I do. Um, I, I th- on the good side, I thought it was, I really like to see companies that are kind of Build your own companies out of other fintechs, so they're using Evolve, Alloy, and Plaid as part of, core parts of their infrastructure, which I thought was cool. Um, but I think just in the round, I'm a strong no for blockchain for payments, uh, especially small payments, because if you spend a lot of time on their website and looking through some of the SDK and and some of the details about how it works, you can just see that the way that they're actually doing these transactions just seems to take a lot of time, and also going through the token just it has the charges and 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 I think will be you know, not that efficient, really, when you compare it to things that we've got in the UK that around some of the payment innovation we've seen from the UK banks, I think not using blockchain in this space is probably a better idea
2: overall. So we don't have faster payments uh, in the US. So since having moved to the UK and being able to, you know, contactless tap my card and transfer money almost immediately through my bank app, uh, it's like two centuries of a difference between Europe and the US. Um, and so, you know, ACH bundles together in lots and lots of payments overnight. Uh, so, whatever it is, the the thirty seconds that you might wait to to get something to hit on the Ethereum chain uh, in in the current environment is uh, meaningfully faster than what you would get out of um, existing process.
1: Yeah, but if you step through the steps on their website, what they're doing is converting to the token, buying U.S. securities, then. Doing a two day settlement and converting back. It, do, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like that blockchain is a great solution for this problem. I think if you look at some of the fintechs like Form 3 in the UK that are doing this, I think they've just. Got a better
0: non-blockchain <laughs> solution, and in the U.S. as well, there's there's many others, right? I mean, there's Cash App out there that gives you the feeling of near instantaneous transfers, even if it's not, and Venmo, and, and, and you know how much of this is a user experience problem versus the ability to settle and move money. Um, but but I wonder if the use of this token is the equivalent to the push payment off. So in in the cards world, when I walk into a store and I go to make a transaction, the money isn't moving, but what's happened is my bank has talked to the merchants bank and said, yeah, Simon's kind of good for it. We we authorize this payment the tokens are playing that role in this sense. In, in By having these tokens, I have a claim against those funds that will clear in two days' time. And actually, does that give me some confidence um, that, yes, there will be a process that's followed that's long and cumbersome and the money will settle. But actually, I as a treasury, I as a as a business can start to operate as if I have that that cash. I wonder if there was something there. I don't know if you had views on that.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's exactly how it's working. But um, this is definitely your space rather than mine. In the UK, how quick
0: is um the actual bank settlement end of it so it's quite similar actually so faster payments uh is really a messaging service that then settles overnight uh via backs uh and then really what it is is an iou between the banks um and that so faster payments isn't faster payments it's faster ious and then settlement Um, so this is kind of replicating what faster payments does it's just doing it on the ethereum blockchain and with a stable coin Um, but it's interesting you pointed out that you know, you've got Ally and Evolve and Plaid. Uh, you've almost got these building blocks of a fintech in the US to be able to recreate what the UK did with big centralized banks getting together. Um, the market is is recreating that in, in, in some interesting ways. So um we'll probably have Shamir on the next show. So um, shout out to those guys and everything they're doing. Uh, yeah, the the payments jury is out, it seems. Um, but I'll move us to the next story because I'm sure we could. Um, We'll, we'll chat to Shamir and get some of these questions answered. Um, I'm curious about everybody's view on this next one. story comes from the block. Uh, this is Bitcoin Cash just went through its first halving. Um, and of course, everybody knows uh, Bitcoin Cash was the blockchain that forked from Bitcoin in 2017 um, and is now the fourth largest currency by market cap, or at least the time the show notes were put together. And the event occurred last Wednesday, seeing the um, BCH produce with each new uh, block moving from 12.5 to 625 As a result, BCH miners can expect to earn lower rewards. And of course, the mining difficulty and hash rate on Bitcoin Cash, that measure of how much a miner power is participating on the network, has recently been on a bit of a downward trend. So hash rate is down, um, dropping from around the 5 exahashes per second in mid-February to 3.3. So is demand moving away from Bitcoin Cash? I'm going to start with Olivia. Do you you think that's the case, or is there something else going on here?
1: Well, I did what I always do in times like this when I don't really understand what the view of, of people who invest in Bitcoin Cash is going to be. And I went on Reddit and, and they, they all seem to think that it's going to increase the value over yes. time, which I guess the people on the Bitcoin Cash Reddit will probably think. Um, but it just made me think of the, uh, the elegance of satoshi's original design this asymptote that you know maintains the value over the over the long run and i think it it is just really beautifully elegant and we should appreciate that um on or off reddit
2: (laughs) how about you Lex? uh on or off reddit (laughs) uh on reddit on reddit um you know i think um in traditional capital markets or let me put another way In a well-functioning capital market, information is incorporated in advance and priced into the asset. So I don't think that an event that can be seen years forward into the future should really be moving the price unless you have fairly irrational players. Uh, or you have information around the event that's that somehow moves things in a way that's not correlated with reality. I don't think there's any any news to derive about price out of out of this change. The other thing I did check is you know what percent of bitcoin is bitcoin cash today and now it's down to about 3%, you know. So if you if you kind of go back and think to forks as These corporate splits or these spin outs or these dividends, right? And at the time it was something like a 10% or a 20% dividend. Um, and now it's down to a three percent dividend. So I think you can deduce your own market conclusion from those numbers. Interesting stuff,
0: Lex. So Olivia, I'm interested in your perspective. Um, you know, more broadly in cap markets, does this stuff register in innovation conversations and with the buy side at all? Is it is it in the conversation, especially given where the market is at the moment?
1: Yeah. Well, I had an interesting conversation recently with Wisdom Tree. Um, I think you probably saw that they made an investment into a blockchain company that they found interesting. And so I was talking to them about ways in which people in capital markets can access these kind of asset classes and whether or not it's going to be more an investment that you that you make into into an asset or whether it's going to be something that becomes part of the core infrastructure and i think still Neither has really come to be to be the case yet. Um, but still very interesting to follow what, what is going to be the development. I think on the investment side, people are much more focused I would say on Ethereum and on, on Bitcoin rather than Bitcoin cash. So it seems to be my, my view.
0: Interesting stuff yeah and uh, this, uh, this market is, is one that's constantly constantly moving. I'm interested uh, Lex, as you step back from Bitcoin cash and you look kind of more broadly at the markets and the perceptions in the time of coronavirus, uh, it used to be very much the case that the halving was a big conversation, that um, that supply and demand was a big conversation. Now there's a really interesting conversation about, you know, correlation with financial markets between these assets and not. What do you think this says about who the investor is and and,
2: and our maturity as an industry <laughs> in, in the in the token space? Uh, that that is potentially you know a dangerous question about our maturity in the token space, you know at the core of it, uh, financial services makes money out of uncertainty, right? So if there is uncertainty or if there's a gap in understanding or if there is time smoothing, that is a place for financial product. So. Maybe you are, you know, the easiest uh, example would be, you don't know your own risks, but somebody knows the risks of a population. That's, that's an insurance product or in the capital markets context, you are not able to take on a specific risk or you don't want to have it. So you start hedging it out. And so uncertainty is really where finance thrives and trading thrives on volatility. Uh, And so times like now where you have really fast narrative shifts, you know, is it Bitcoin's money, Bitcoin's gold, um, the fundamentals of Ethereum apps, the developer activity, like Bitcoin being called the apocalypse hedge, right? So as soon as we have the apocalypse, Bitcoin's going to go up because millennials are going to hoard it. Well, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty close. We're getting there. Um, You know, we're, we're all doing maybe okay, but the world is empty and trees are growing in our cities. And um, the correlations are high. And so I think there's a lot of narrative switching, and that creates volatility, and that's maybe good for trading, and there's a, a, a large proportion of speculative activity in our space. And so I think all that's wound up. If I were to boil all of that away and kind of dismiss it, I would say all assets have something they're correlated against, and that is that they're usually held by human beings. So I hold fixed income and I hold equities and I hold ETFs and I hold Bitcoin. Um, And so when my credit card bill comes up and I don't have enough cash, I'm going to sell all my stuff in order to pay my credit card bill. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And you can play that through small business and through rent and mortgages and defaulted CBRE funds and broken asset allocations and endowments and, and so on. Um, and so the correlation is one because it's us. We're the problem. Correlation
0: is down to humans. Uh, interesting stuff. All right. Um, next story comes from CoinDesk, and this was um, oh look, ETH rose to a twenty-eight. 28- day high amid uh, positive sentiment um and of course this is around the 2.0 upgrade often called uh, serenity promising higher transaction throughput and a new security model under proof of stake um so um i guess lex you're probably in a better place to give us a whistle stop tour about what's happening with the 2.0 upgrade which is slated for july 2020 um and uh why people are really kind of uh Kind of maybe thinking differently about ETH at the moment. Your point there about narrative was 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 kind of a, a good thread to lead on perhaps.
2: Absolutely. So I will not do the the technical story justice. Uh, so I will stay at the macro level. You know, from, from the consensus perspective, we are deeply involved in the ETH2 efforts. And so what is the effort? The effort is to build a new chain, a new infrastructure which is on a path to be compatible with ethereum one um, which today runs the most decentralized applications and decentralized finance infrastructure and so the the new chain has the attributes of being far more scalable in the sense that it can process many many more transactions an order of magnitude you know something like 20 or 30 times what it is today i believe uh, if not more relative to both bitcoin and ethereum Uh, And so to to build out that infrastructure, to make a a scalable chain, and to do that in various phases. So I think there's a multi-year plan in place. Some of the phases are still in research, but the coming upgrade... Uh, is going to lay down that first beacon chain launch. And so there's going to be the initial layer on which you can start doing the equivalent of mining, uh, which in this case is not going to be proof of work, it's going to be proof of stake. Um, And so this is creating both the narrative interest, but also the interest of organizations like the crypto exchanges and certain consumer-oriented fintechs to start participating in the staking that's going to be available on ETH2. And so even though you're not yet going to be using the protocol as an operating system, you do have the opportunity to start generating an economic reward. And because there are a number of Smaller chains that have launched staking, people see that and they see the returns, um, and they're attracted to it. You know, so consensus is working on staking as a service. It's working on uh, a client, and then there are a number of other a number of other folks that are also contributing uh, both in services and R and D side. But it's real; um, it's coming to fruition, and I think. Uh, People are finally seeing just how much developer support there is for the Ethereum ecosystem.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to think about these tokens as, as an asset more now, Olivia. And, and actually, I wonder, you know, do, do, are people looking at uh, something as we shift this way a, as something that's seriously investable? Because, um, you know, the permissionless blockchain space in the world of Bitcoin, especially and ETH to a lesser extent, has reached a lot of regulatory clarity in the last year or so um, that, that could change the narrative a little bit in, in financial markets.
1: Yeah, I think there are a few interesting things about the story. I mean, I think one, it was just um, ethereum being um governed in the way that it that it is and, and sort of run like a company really is just able to do these bigger changes that, it, that you just can't even imagine getting passed by the, the bitcoin group and then the move to proof of stake i think is going to be super interesting for financial services because none of, none of the permissioned blockchains that, that we're talking about in our world want want miners etc and so if we can have a real proof of stake um, protocol working really well on something like ethereum i think that there'll be Um, great crossover from that and then and you know as lex said there's just this huge now network of of developers on top of the ethereum and protocols that's really exciting as well because you see some more innovation there and, and then the final thing is I saw uh, Vitalik doing a, an interesting interview about one of the technical changes, which is about moving to be sort of stateless. So you won't have to have the, the sort of big memory to keep all of the previous and um, which is really interesting uh, as, as well. So I think lots of interesting things coming out of the Ethereum world. I've always been a bit, bit skeptical really about Ethereum, but it, it does seem as though the investment and the, the governance around it is 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 bearing
0: fruit now it's interesting that ethereum always has that wow it's weirdly ambitious mm. and god they're never going to pull that off and then five years later they kind of yeah. do and then what they're claiming they do doesn't sound like it's possible for another 50 years and there's this constant thing of like the ambition is ridiculous but then when you actually look back at what has been delivered you go yeah but there is something real here and that's kind of exciting um like so i'm interested in uh you know is this going to be infrastructure that people use what i thought was interesting about. Sealer is people are trying to use it. Send Wire is another example. People are trying to use it, but like surely AWS is always going to be better, faster, cheaper, and I can do everything in that platform. Are people really seeing it as a genuine alternative? Um, and is the narrative on that shifting at all?
2: I think I I love the lead up about the ambition because it's I'm sometimes a skeptical person, but there's some fantastically amazing stuff going on. So you know I used to work on Wall Street in investment management, and one of the things that uh, I had done was was help reconnect the manager selection platform when Barclays bought Lehman Brothers. So manager selection is you know you might have a hundred different hedge funds and various funds and they are, they have a papered relationship with a broker dealer and a distributor. Um, and you paper that relationship, you connect them through the banking infrastructure and through a bunch of portfolio management systems, and then you can get your clients to actually invest in those hedge funds. As intermediated by a broker. You would pay 150 basis points, one and a half percent for the service, sometimes more. Hedge funds would take their two and twenty. And literally, this would be this would be a two, three year journey. They're really difficult to do. Today, like literally today, Ethereum has decentralized finance projects. One of them is called Token Set, another one is called uh, Pi DAO, uh, like a pie chart decentralized autonomous organization that are just working on these manager selection platforms and they're up and running in like six months. And the reason for it is that you're not working with abstractions. You're not working with a QSIP in a spreadsheet to be imported into a A rebalancing system to be sent to a broker dealer to be sent to a you know a clearing depository, you're actually working with the actual thing, the actual digital asset. And that is fantastically efficient. And while today I think it is subscale um, and it's hard to stand up sort of real institutional scale activity, those use cases at the least have been, I'm not gonna say proven, but they've been you know, dozens of thousands of people hold various sophisticated financial assets and millions of people hold the simpler financial assets. And I think that has been proven. And so what ETH2 does is create a way for the convergence between sort of the first generation of this fairly manual hacker-ish infrastructure. And it, it creates a convergence layer that can also support, you know, side chains that have very different uh, rule sets and scalability and transaction throughput and governance, and it can all anchor to the same source of truth you know so obviously i'm I'm fairly excited about how this is going on, but I think on the institutional side, there's now a bubbling interest in how do you use you know Ethereum, the main net rather than just you know the permission deployment and I think it'll take time, but um, I, I see the interest starting to build powerful powerful stuff
0: all right uh it's time for an ad read um and i'm gonna move us to that very very quickly um corda is blockchain for business in every industry uh this episode is brought to you by our good friends at r3 and developed by r3 corda is known for its enterprise grade security privacy scalability and interoperability and because corda was built to meet the stringent requirements of highly regulated industries in particular financial services it can be used by firms of any type size or in any industry in fact uh, with Corda, you can get started today. Uh, head on over to R3.com and check it out for a free trial. Alrighty, on with the show. Uh, next story comes from The Block. And this was about France's central bank beginning to experiment with the digital euro. Of course, hot on the heels of Christian Caldo uh, looking at doing his own digital dollar and the Fed making statements along those lines. And of course, China having announced its own DECP project. Uh, this is an area of real Development. So the central bank said it has a threefold uh, objective. One, show how traditional interbank settlement can be carried out using a central bank digital currency. Two, identify the benefits of a central bank digital currency. And three, analyze the effects of central bank digital currency on financial stability and monetary policy. Um, It's worth saying that the governor of the French central bank has notably said that the challenge of these experiments is not to replace banknotes and coins but rather taking up the call for innovation at a time when private initiatives, wink, wink, especially payments between financial players and technologies are accelerating and public demand is increasing. They said everything but Libra. Um, what was it? Is that what you thought when you saw this, Olivia, or do you think other things?
1: I didn't think of Libra, actually. But um, yeah, that is an obvious connection that I should have made, probably. I think I'm excited for central bank digital currencies from the role that they have in settlement of assets, obviously, on, on my side of the world. Because I think by having the cash leg on a blockchain, then you'll start to actually get the asset on the blockchain as well. I think it's the cash pit that's that's holding us up. I'm glad that they said not intended to replace cash and coins because actually just with a, a little sort of corona hat on I think we all need to be really careful about creeping government surveillance of things that we're doing and um, I just wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to move to a totally digital currency where every transaction could be tracked personally Um so I'm quite nervous about that side of it I'm glad that he, he mentioned that in the thing but f- for the settlement side and, and you know back to the what we were talking about before in the settlement of of um, the the banks behind the payments that we see, um, I think could be really exciting.
0: I'm interested, Lex, as you look at this, you know, central bank digital currencies seem to be all the rage at the moment. Every central bank's having a go. We've seen the uh, the Swedes have a go. We've seen, obviously, the Chinese are are quite some way down their own process. um, And we've seen many, many other efforts. The Bank of England put out a very thoughtful, I think, white paper, on the subject as well how do you view this do you think it's it's kind of an, an inevitable consequence and was it just the libra effect or do you think there's something else going on here why it's all all of a sudden just kind of shot up the priority list to start saying this stuff
2: i do wonder the the sequence of how something like this gets implemented and what a critical mass really looks like there is certainly a critical mass about signaling the interest in cbdc's right now um, and I think the pressure has been building from Bitcoin to then an order of magnitude of, of sort of threat with Libra. And now I think I think COVID actually has quite a bit of impact uh, on this sector. So we did a, a research paper on CBDCs for Ethereum uh, around Davos uh, that got quite a bit of engagement. And, you know, you can split the process into quite different buckets for uh, wholesale and retail, very different things. So. Uh, enabling wholesale money movement uh, isn't as performant, uh, or you you don't need it to be as performant, and it's much chunkier, and it's much more about cost savings and and banks and sort of this asset finality and settlement. Uh, on the retail side is is much more about what do people have in their pockets and are you putting the central banks and the government and the FBI and uh, you know all the aliens and UFOs into their phone to track and surveil them uh, and That's also more difficult to do from a performance perspective, just in terms of the scale of transactions. There's also something
0: there about identity and privacy to to olivia's point about if you were to do that the bank of england actually described there almost been three maybe even four layers to a central bank digital currency system which i thought was really interesting there's the sort of central bank platform itself there's commercial banks and their ability to um sort of create money and and its role uh, and its connectivity to the central bank which you would think of as real-time gross settlement and uh, as it largely exists today but as as a tech upgrade there's a third layer which is uh kind of Expanding that out not just to uh, fintechs and um, non-bank financial institutions, which is which is one area of interest. You know, maybe you've got a, uh, a um, somebody who's an asset manager, or you've got some some specialist lender. Maybe they want access to the central bank balance sheet and to to cheaper, faster uh, payments than they are otherwise able to get from the market, which some banks provide. Right, so they they could potentially be competing in that space. Um, and in that, they also included corporations. Uh, who, who may want access to central banks, uh, and then the fourth layer was consumers, you and me, um, and, and would would we want access to that? And in that fourth layer, they say, um, you know, look, if you were to do that, you could do it a couple of ways. You could either do it as as a as an account or a wallet, um, as a as a digital wallet that looks centralized. So this looks like Square, or it looks like a, a prepaid card. You know, the value is really held on a database somewhere else, and your mobile device shows you a picture, effectively, of what your balance is somewhere else. And then there's the sort of the digital wallet as it exists in a Ledger Nano, um, which is like, this is actually, you know, the device holds the key. Therefore, in a sense, even though the value really sits on on across a, a number of databases and, and elsewhere, you could argue that it's, it's almost like the same as having money in your pocket. It's the closest thing you can get to that with technology. And they're undecided on which of those two they would do. Uh, it, it seems to me like, um, you know, kind of taking that momentum of existing fintechs and banks and non-bank financial institutions that want to open up access to the central bank balance sheet seems sensible. But how do you view the pros and cons of that, Olivia? Like, if I'm if I'm in the asset management space, what might this bring me? And if I'm a corporate, what what might it bring? me?
1: Yeah, well, to, to be honest, I'm not sure that there's been a huge amount of discussion about it. But one thing that has definitely been a trend in um, in investment management has been investment managers getting into into loans because um, once the bank stepped, stepped out after the global financial crisis so I I think um, anything that makes that process more efficient would definitely be welcomed because I think of of asset manager operating models settlement of global loans can be one of the most painful and very paper-based processes and relies on very few participants to be able to, to actually get them settled.
0: I don't know if you saw, there was a company called Cadence raised a $4 million seed round this week. Um, They are a securitization platform. They happen to use a blockchain, but they've securitized more than $125 million worth of mortgages. Uh, And essentially, the idea is that you can manage the lifecycle around that um, securitized asset as it gets bought and sold and traded. Um, And you've got traceability around that. And what's interesting is these companies look and feel a lot more like B2B fintech these days than they do, um, blockchain companies of, of 2017, 18. I mean, like co-head of fintech at consensus. How do you, how do you feel about them looking more like fintech than blockchain companies? Is that taking away the shine
2: or is that a good thing? Um, I thought fintech was shiny, uh, but but I'm, uh, I'm aging out of, um, of, of being able to say I'm an entrepreneur, I guess. Um, so, you know, at Consensus, there's um, a very similar bet with uh, a product that we have called Codify, where we tokenized, I believe, about 300 million of real estate fund assets on a platform that manages the lifecycle of those assets from issuance to secondary trading. And of course, that stuff all plugs in into regulation. And in order to scale that business up, the way you do it isn't by everybody crowdfunding weird alternative assets you know, derivatives on you name it, but by sitting on top of existing pipelines uh and working with firms that are doing securitization or structuring or, you know, private equity or liquid assets and um turning those into tokens that that could be if the if there were a market, um, if there was an exchange that could be much more liquid. So I think that opportunity makes a ton of sense to me. Um, And it's part of the wave that, you know, that that Olivia had mentioned is like, once you have cash, then you can have assets. And I think there is a sequencing and we're just, we're just kind of moving through that sequencing in a bumpy way. The one thing I, I do want to comment on in terms of the four areas you mentioned from the Bank of England, everywhere you look, what FinTech has done is it moved the financial product way closer to the customer. And so, you know, whether it's neobanks in the UK or robo advice or direct trading with Robinhood in the US, the financial product's closer. If you look at how does Slack want to go public, well, it wants to go direct listing. It wants to go to the stock exchange. And now you look at the American bailout package, which is, hey, we're going to provide secondary market for corporate bonds, um, and we're just going to we're just going to buy direct like we're just going to do it. We'll have, we'll pay 8 million bucks to BlackRock to administer it, but the central bank is going to, is going to be a player in the market. And further, as you think about the small businesses and inevitably universal basic income, I just, I just see a straight line. You know, if we are in a world five to 10 years from now, where there is some sort of UBI concept coming out of this crisis, um, I don't see how it, isn't through a fintech or a CBDC solution. It's kind
0: of interesting that Square um, picked up the
2: mantle around
0: um, being able to distribute some of the uh, some of the funds. Uh, I think it was the was it the payroll protection program uh, or, or something along those lines. When uh, the U.S. government was struggling to get out via some of the bank lenders to to the consumer directly, and Square went, hey, we think we can do this a lot quicker. Uh, and that is an interesting theme. I mean, Olivia, I'm interested in your perspective. Does that cut out the middlemen like the asset managers or do they just become facilitators of a different buyer? And surely we'd have to look at regs quite closely if, if, the, if the consumer was to get directly at some of the more sophisticated assets. That could cause some, some interesting times.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it seems from my, my network on LinkedIn and other places that there's a lot of frustration from the traditional lenders in this space and that fintech solutions... Would definitely be able to technically solve the problem, but they don't have access to the same capital. So there's lots of discussion about and um, sort of partnerships between the traditional lenders and the fintechs for, for the fintechs kind of being the distributors, but but not providing the capital. So I definitely think there's 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 more to see there. Um I don't know, um, Simon, if you've seen any follow up to the story that Starling did a while ago where they were going to um, start paying or start administering some of the social payments like welfare payments in the uk because obviously it's so much easier to budget if you've got a starling app and that would be great if you could give that as what as a way of sort of distributing welfare payments but again maybe there's a privacy angle there that we should be mindful
0: i hadn't seen that i know starling did a couple of interesting things they've produced a secondary card so i as a starling customer can request a second card and can set budgets for that so if i'm uh if i'm isolating uh, for 12 weeks or whatever, I can essentially delegate a budget to a person who can then go to a store and buy me things. But I also I would also see the, immediately the transaction and be able to set limits about what they can and can't buy, which stores they can and can't use. Um, they are also, I think, I think listed as one of the coronavirus business interruption lenders, uh, one of the new ones with the British Business Bank. So, and we've seen a similar thing in the US as well. I think PayPal, um, Square, and several other fintech lenders have now come into that space. So, you know, it, it's moving away from the banks into these these new specialists. And actually, if you if you're a big bank or you're a traditional incumbent. The market's moving and it doesn't feel like it has because you're distracted by just trying to keep the lights on. But there's some real significant change uh, sort of happening in and around us. I'm going to move us to the next story. Maybe we can weave that, that thread through it. This is from Cointelegraph and it's about Paxful launching their peer-to-peer trading between gold and Bitcoin. When a trade is entered, Bitcoin will remain in Paxful's escrow until the physical delivery of gold is confirmed. Uh, To comply with anti-money laundering regulation, Paxful requires full identity and address verification, as you would expect. Paxful's been planning to add support for trade between Bitcoin and other goods and assets for the platform in a while. So... um, interesting we talk about peer-to-peer um it's uh that peer-to-peer space the DeFi space likes um is is really sort of changing the nature of what it means to be custodying an asset um the old story was for a long time removing the middleman is that actually happening or are we just creating new
2: middlemen here is is, is that the case i think we're definitely creating new middlemen but more than anything what what's happening is opening up a new frontier Uh, And creating an I'm gonna this sounds so frou frou uh, creating an unexplored space for innovation, but it's really what I mean. So if you can imagine kind of a fractal expanding, right in the center, you're going to have really defined patterns, and everything will be stayed. And then at the very edges, you're going to move and explore new frontiers and create new patterns. And sometimes it's a dead end, and sometimes you open up an entirely new new space. And I think what DeFi does in a really interesting way is take the concept of, you know, what if our financial software, our financial infrastructure lived in the asset or lived in the network in which the asset traveled. And I I think it's just absolutely fascinating. Imagine if underwriting software, instead of using something from, you know, loan IQ from Finastra um, to do some abstract work on your desktop to then upload somewhere else. Imagine if you just have an open source version of that software and it was best in class because thousands of people we're updating it together, including large banks and individual developers. And that was just open source and available to any bank. So, hey, Pfizer, First Data, Jack Henry, Temenos, all your software is open source. It's an operating system, and it's in the network where the money lives. Similarly, in exchanges and trading, and then down from there, portfolio management and performance reporting, rebalancing, if all that software, instead of being Uh, provided by bespoke solutions against abstractions on certain custodians, but not other custodians, had to be pointed at the same network with the same standards across all the asset classes. Um, And so for me, that's, that's the fundamental destination. But for sure, there's lots of places where things fall down and where you might have to insert intermediaries that you you wouldn't imagine yet existing because you don't know what the architecture of that space looks like
0: there's a lot of interesting food for thought there Olivia. obviously custodians global custodians and csds have come into sharp focus um during the whole sort of introduction of blockchain and crypto assets and and sort of tokenized assets more broadly in in the world of financial markets uh, do we risk recreating the maze? Are we, uh, is the market realistically going to change shape? Is there scope for regulatory change? Like, how do you see some of these developments sort of progressing um, in, in, the, in the weeks, months, and years ahead of us? And, and how much should we be, uh, as financial markets professionals, paying attention to this stuff? Is it, is it now? Is it six months? Is it helping me? Can it, can it do something for me tomorrow?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I feel like we're at a bit of an impasse with with custody and, and blockchain really, because none of the custodians are in any way incentivized to move on to new technology in, in this way and they're very expensive projects and they compete with each other. So unless you were going to have some kind of regulatory insistence that the whole market move, which I think the regulators have pretty much said, we don't regulate specific technologies, we regulate processes. So I I, I haven't seen any really exciting stories in the world of traditional asset custody and, and blockchain for a long time. Um, on the flip of that, though, um, I think where we are seeing a bit of innovation is, is where Asset managers are the issuers. So rather than waiting for custodians to to deliver this service to them, they can actually be the authors of their own destiny. So where they're issuing mutual funds or units, they they can use a blockchain to do that. And so there are a few interesting projects around in in that space. Um, So here in the UK, there's um, FMZ and in France, ISNES and FundsDLT in Luxembourg. And they're all kind of trying to put those digital assets into the hands of of users sort of directly and sort of represent traditional assets like mutual funds. on, on blockchain. So I think that's where there's a bit more more excitement. And um, I think as well on the intermediaries point that you made, that um, it's, when I when I saw this news story, I'd never heard of, of Paxful. And this is sort of a, a common theme for me, I think, in this space that there's just so many companies exploding, exploding. So I just did a quick Google and they have terrible, terrible reviews on Trustpilot. Like really, really bad. And so I I, I always worry a bit with new entrants into financial services that they're not properly they're not properly delivering outcomes to customers and customers aren't getting the best experience
0: yeah the fact that they're available doesn't mean they're good and, and uh, time is is often the the thing that sort of separates a lot of these organizations out you know you think uh, 10 years ago 11 years ago Square was just getting started and it looked like everything else that was just getting started but how many businesses have fallen by the wayside since then and I think to the point you know some of the some of the platforms that have survived the last five years are the ones that are have been delivering value to customers and, and that's going to be the a real key. So um, lots to get through and lots of stories we didn't have time to cover. Uh, one from Coindesk, uh, World Economic Forum is looking to blockchain for supply chain woes. And my goodness, supply chains are stressed at the moment. Right, that'll be a, a good one to do a deep dive on at some point. Uh, Cointelegraph, of course, Jack Dorsey of Square donated 28% of his wealth to the global COVID-19 relief. And sorry from the block, a new Bitcoin-backed token TZBTC launches on the Tezos blockchain. So everybody's got their own Bitcoin these days. Uh, now it's time for tweet of the week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. This week's tweet of the week is actually a part of a thread, and it comes from Meltem Demois. And the tweet reads, To all the people obsessing over recent news of the digital dollar, it's terrifying. And basically the opposite of what crypto is all about, e.g. systemic hedge, self-sovereign. What they're talking about is similar to what Sweden has done. A short story. Um, the digital dollar is being touted as nothing to do with blockchains and cryptocurrencies or anything remotely related. It's about uh, linking your bank account directly to a federal agency so they can move ones and zeros in their database. And then when you do that, you've basically completed the loop for the government, eliminating the need to go through intermediaries to get your data. Quite a quite a direct take there from Melton, as always, never shy about coming forward. Um, but this was your privacy point, Olivia. Um, I think this is going to be one that um, many organizations struggle with to to find the balance on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I shout out to to Meldon because I saw her doing an amazing dance on Twitter this week. So <laughs> it was very cool.
0: Indeed, indeed. Alrighty. Um, well that covers us for this week. Uh where can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Olivia?
1: And um, just uh, on LinkedIn or at Alpha FMC on Twitter.
2: Brilliant stuff. And how about your good self, Lex? Twitter is uh at Lex Soklin. and then um check out codify.consensus.net for some of the digital asset and DeFi ideas that I've talked about. And if you're interested in my newsletter, that will be at lex.substack.com brilliant stuff as for us, you can find us at 11fscom and
0: just to remind you uh, this podcast is brought to you by 11fS and we are a challenger consultancy working to shape the very next generation of financial services and you can see more on 11 fscom forward slash work about the type of work we've done with organizations like yours you can find me at sy Taylor on Twitter or email me Simon at 11fscom I'd love to hear from you do remember to leave us a review we love those reviews on this podcast thank you so much and we'll see Speak to you next week.